Uh, we're excited that today we're in week three of our Song of Songs uh, sermon series. And uh, what we're kind of digging into is uh, what we're calling A Love Like No Other. Uh, Song of Songs is this book that's a, about the conversation between uh, a man and a woman and their romantic kind of physical excitement and joy of togetherness. But it's also this, this conversation between man and God, between creator and created. And so this week, uh, we're going to dig into uh, the next phase of that. And we're actually going to look at one simple passage and kind of draw, pull the thread there and see there's a whole lot in it. Uh, Before we do that, I want to remind you today is the very last day for our couple checkup. And so if you are in a dating, engaged, or married relationship, and you would like a free checkup on how you're doing, uh, we have that for you. So the way to find that, you'd go to Facebook, uh, to the Covenant Facebook page, and it is there posted this morning, uh, last thing that we put up. And so you can find that, you can check into it, you can take this highly, um, it's like the kind of industry leader when it comes to relationship assessment, and we're giving it to you for free. They'll give you a custom 15 to 20 page report at the end of it. It's all anonymous, so we don't get to see who did what or how you did. So uh, no one's going to be calling you and saying like, listen, I heard you were a little bit bad on this. No one's doing that, Uh, but it's there for you. So if you haven't done that yet, you'd like to, we'd love to offer that to you and make sure you know that's available. And uh, that's that. So, like I said, today we're going to be digging in deeper into this love like no other, the song of songs kind of love. Um, And so what we're going to do today is kind of look at the way that this love leads us to operate boldly, and I would even say foolishly in the eyes of the world, uh, both in the way that we love and relate to each other and the way that we love and relate uh, to God. And so today we're going to be talking about surrender, submission, and trust, and we're going to do it all out of this one passage that I will read here. It says, uh, Song of Songs 2, this is verse 16 and 17, it says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Where we're going to focus uh, is the simple passage. It's really even just the first few words. My beloved is mine, and I'm his. From uh, this last thought in the second chapter of the book, it, I actually think the entire uh, book of the Song of Songs rests on it. This is almost like a tentpole verse that without this, the whole thing kind of can waffle and sway. But when this verse is there, my beloved is mine and I am his, when you put that stake into the ground, the whole rest of it seems to have uh, more firm footing. One of the most striking elements of this love song between two people is this verse, my, my beloved is mine and I am his. And this is something we we're somewhat familiar with. This is probably hanging in some of your homes. This is a popular thing to have on a canvas or you have it framed somewhere. This is said at weddings. My beloved is mine and I am his. And we go, oh, isn't that a sweet concept? People in love. People love the phrase because we love love. But once we really start to look at what this means and what this is implying, we kind of back off a little. We go, well, that's not what it means to me. It means like just, you know, love is, is, is great. It's sweet. And so when I start to explain to people, hey, this means something wholly different. This means something far weightier than we give it uh, just putting it up on the wall. People say, well, um, wait a minute. I don't know if I like that. There's a reason for this. So we live in the United States of America, land of the free, home of the brave. We celebrate Independence Day, don't we? Anybody know when Submission Day is? Surrender Day? We give trophies to victors, not to those who surrender, unless they're six years old and are playing peewee soccer. We don't celebrate the day that uh, a war was lost. We celebrate the day the war was won. One of our founding fathers, uh, Benjamin Franklin, said this. He said, I am Lord of myself, accountable to none. Take that, England, right? 
This is the, the doctrine of self-determination is coming out, that we are our own people, and we don't owe anything to anyone, and we will not submit to anyone. In January of 1776, New Hampshire, the great state of New Hampshire, became the first colony to establish a government independent of the kingdom of Great Britain. Some of you may know what their state motto is. You see it on their license plates, live, free, or die. We would rather be dead than submit to someone else's rule in our life. John F. Kennedy said this. He said, the cost of freedom is always high, but Americans have always paid it. One path we shall never choose, that is the path of surrender or submission. We are Americans. We don't surrender. We don't submit. We fight. We fight. We're freedom. We're independent. We're brave. And none of this other stuff is going to get us. You and I exist in the milieu of militant independence. We live in the soup of everything is about your independence and your freedom and your self-determination. And that is what we hold as our highest value in our country. And so we live in that place. We marinate in that soup. And if we're not careful, that soup begins to um, sort of infect other pieces of our lives. And while that may be great governmental policy or that may be great uh, sovereign state policy, that may not be great relational policy. Our atmosphere as Americans is oxygenated by fireworks and hot dogs and a disdain for any authority that thinks it can control us. You see that in the way that every movement and counter-movement happens, even today. Watch the news and ask, what are they rebelling against? What are they angry with? And it's almost always the sense that someone is coming to control us. As a people, we are envious of other people who work for themselves. When you hear somebody works for themselves, oh, wow, that must be nice. Work for yourself. What are we saying? must be great not to have a boss. We're impressed by people who grow their own food. You ever go to somebody's house and they're like, well, I made this and I grew this and I raised that. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. I have to go buy my, you grow your own food. There's this great independence in that. We even marvel, or at least I do, when people are walking their dogs off leash. I'm like, whoa, independence, way to go, you guys. I'm like proud of the, can I pet the dog? No, he's not on a leash. We worship independence. Nothing is more vital to a republic, and I would argue that nothing is more toxic to a relationship. Nothing is more vital to a republic, but nothing is more toxic to a relationship. So we get to this idea of surrender. My beloved is mine, and I am his. My beloved is mine, and I am his. This is two people who have ceased to belong to themselves. These are two people who have given up, surrendered. They've given up their freedom, in a sense. And they've, they've actually done something wholly different. In a physical sense, in a larger relational sense, they're giving the fullness of themselves to the other. Ownership has changed hands. My beloved is mine and I am his. I don't own myself. You don't own yourself. I own you. You own me. Well, I can't guarantee that uh, applying this to your relationship will have you describing your man as a young stag or your woman as um, a field of lilies or whatever pomegranates and gazelles you're going to read about. I can say this. Shared surrender is the basis of meaningful relationship. Shared surrender is the basis for a meaningful relationship. It is the foundation piece to finding meaningful relationship. In every type of relationship, in a a friend relationship, in a parental relationship, in a sibling relationship, in a romantic relationship, in a relationship with God. Shared surrender is the basis for meaningful relationship. That's a big claim. So I, I should probably back that up for you. I would say that in life we have only two options. We have only two options in life. They are this. We either live in submissive surrender or self-deception. You and I go through life and we we live one of two ways. We live, and I actually think it's really one way, but there's a second way that 
that kind of tense it. So the, the thing, we're all living in submissive surrender. Some of us just don't think we are, and we're living in self-deception. Everyone gives their life to something. Everyone gives your, their life to something. Every single one of us gives our days to something. We surrender our lives to the pursuit of fame or status. We surrender to chase wealth or happiness. We surrender for the search of love or significance. Every single life gets surrendered. We either live in submissive surrender or self-deception. You ever see the stories of these Olympians? Next year's an Olympic year. A lot of people like the Olympics. I don't really care about the Olympics. But I do like the stories. The stories get me. When they talk about the gymnast who gave up everything at the age of two to begin learning how to do backflips. And, and you see this like training montage and they did homeschools from the road while they traveled from place to place to get the best training and the best care. And then they said the diver, oh, the diver from Slovakia, some Slovakia, there's no more Slovakias. And the diver gave up everything. They gave everything up. They surrendered their whole childhood. They gave everything up. And they went and trained with the greatest divers in the world who all live in some far remote place. Even in the winters, they would then travel to the other hemisphere so they could have to all summer, all the time. They surrendered everything. Never built a snowman, doesn't even care, just likes to dive. And what you see in every Olympics is every athlete there has surrendered everything for the chance at gold. You look at anybody, you go home and watch football today, you turn it on, you will see lives of surrender. If you've ever known a, a football coach, we've known a couple through this church, they work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And they're, think, they're, they're thought to be slacking if that's all they do. Their wives literally call themselves football widows. Because in order to get to the place where you get high enough to be the big shot, you got to work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. You never turn off. You surrender family life. You surrender relationships. You surrender everything so that you might have a chance. And so when you turn the TV on on Sunday and you sit down to watch your favorite laundry, go get somebody else's favorite laundry, you go, These people all live a life of incredible surrender. They surrender their desires for ice cream in order to have more protein. It's all surrender. We all are living a life of total surrender. Even the person driven to be wholly free, to say, I will not surrender to anybody. The person driven to be totally free, to live actually entirely as they please, to never surrender or submit, is actually surrendered to a life in pursuit of independence. Even when you don't want to surrender to somebody, that's your surrender. Your surrender is to independence. I will not give in to anyone so that I might live my life only for independence. We either live in submissive surrender or self-deception. R.C. Sproul maybe says it better than I do. He says, we are all servants. The only question is whom we will serve. In any relationship, employee, employer, husband, wife, two friends, there is a binary choice happening in every moment of the relationship. You either serve self or other. Self or other. I had someone call me this week. They said, I was reading something. I thought of this series, and, and it actually was, was really helpful, and I wondered if you might share it, and I listened to it, and I said, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to share that, and then I looked over my notes this morning. and said, oh, that fits perfectly. She said, the way it works is there's, there's two circles. Think about like two circles on a page, and, and one is self, and the other is other, and with every decision we make in our lives, we really kind of put our lot into one or the other, and it was helpful for me because I thought, yeah, there's two circles in every decision point in our relationships. And what we want to do is make it a Venn diagram where like in the middle is healthy relationship. A little bit of me, a little bit of you. I kind of take care of myself. I take care of you. This all works out. And the reality is it's not how it works. There is no Venn diagram in that, in that formula. Every decision is self or other. And sometimes the ones that we pretend or for others are really for self. 
Am I primarily doing this for me or them? Am I primarily showing up here for me or them? Contrary to our national ethos, true success in relationship is only found in surrender. The irony is that America is only free and independent because millions of people have willingly sacrificed and surrendered their freedoms and their lives to serve in the armed forces, to fight for freedom. So even the freedom that we hold is only here because people have surrendered their freedom. They no longer get to do what they want on Friday night. They're in a bunker in Afghanistan. And that's the whole irony is that the thing we worship the most, it can't be won by anything else than by surrender, by submission. My beloved is mine and I am his. There's something happening here. It's not just a giving up of something. It isn't just surrender. It's submissive surrender. It isn't just giving up of myself, it's giving over of myself to something else and someone else. If it's just surrender, then we just give up. But if it's submissive surrender, then we're not just giving up, but we're giving up and over. I'm yours now. Giving away of self to another, mutual submissive surrender is love in its truest form. Mutual submissive surrender never objectifies. Mutual submissive surrender never leads to slavery or dominance or subjugation. It is a love that sacrifices, that serves selflessly, and the thing that makes that matter is the mutual peace. Because if only one does it, the whole thing is unbalanced and out of whack. But a mutual, shared, submissive surrender becomes a relationship that is perfectly balanced and in harmony. And what both find out is that in in getting rid of the agenda to get my needs met, my needs get met. But it takes radical trust. It takes radical trust to say, if I'm fully loved and cared for, someone else has offered their life for mine, then I'm free to offer my life for them because I'm fully loved and cared for. My needs will get met so I can, I can give my life to meet someone else's needs. My needs will be covered so I can, I can take care of them. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.21, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The term there that I like better is be subject to. Like a king and a subject, be subject to Give your life to another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then out of that, we get this idea, wives, subject your lives to your husbands. Husbands, subject your lives to your wife. But both are, the, are coming out of this, this primary verse there, this tentpole verse in Ephesians. It says, subject your lives to one another out of reverence for Christ. See what Christ did for you, and then subject yourself to others like that. And we get all hung up on the idea of submission and whose place and male headship and how does this work. And, and ultimately, none of those things are issues if... We follow 521 and we submit our lives to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because there is no imbalance, because there is no subjugation, because there is no dominance, if we are all doing that. It ultimately rests on the question of trust. And the reason that we resist subjecting our lives to others, the reason that we resist surrender or submission in any aspect of our life is because we don't trust the thing or the person we're submitting to. So we surrender instead to self-reliance. If we don't trust the thing or the person we're submitting to or surrendering to, we instead surrender to self-reliance. We go, well, I don't know if I can trust them, so I'll just take it myself. People carry wounds. We carry hurts. We carry scars. Whether we say it out loud or not, a lot of people in the room say, you know what, I'm just not going to let anybody get that close again. And that's a choice. It's a choice to trust self. 
If I say I'm not going to let anybody get that close, I'm not really going to put my life on the line again, I'm not really going to risk that relationship, what that is saying is I will choose to trust myself. Which, as imperfect the world is and as imperfect other people are, that seems like a reasonable choice because at least the person to blame when life goes sideways will be close by. Because it doesn't protect us from falling. It doesn't protect us from challenge. It doesn't protect us from all the things that we think we're protected from. It doesn't protect us from falling short of the goal because we're just as imperfect as the other folks around us. And so when we hold it all in and we go, I'm going to take care of it myself, what we end up doing is we just let ourselves down. There is risk in trusting someone else. It is an every single day risk. In relationship, only those with shared surrender will ever find true meaning. Outside of that, we are running our own show in our own way, and we never fully understand what it means to be joined with somebody in a profound way. Short of shared surrender, everything is transactional. It's an exchange of interactions and emotions to see each other's needs met. You ever been in that relationship? Some of us who have great relationships would say, I've been there for a day or I've been there for a week or I was there for that year. It, it's an exchange of interactions and emotions in order to get my needs met. That's transactional. And that's how most married couples, most people I see, most people I run into, especially most people that come into my office to be counseled, that's the life we're living. Is I will manipulate my way to get my needs met by doing certain things for you. I have a task list. If I, if I clean the toilets and I mow the lawn and I put the kids to bed and I listen to your story about your day, then you will, and then the list comes back the other way. And so we have the shared list of transactions that if I do these things, you'll do these things, and somehow through this weird arrangement, we'll both get our needs met. But both people in that scenario are acting selfishly. Both people are also counting the cost, and so if one falls short for a day, resentment enters in, and resentment is like a weed, and it begins to grow, and all of a sudden we end up in my office, and we go, I don't know how we got here. I go, no one submitted to anybody here. You don't have a marriage, you have a relationship with your bank which is a shared relationship of transaction to meet needs. I put my card in and I hit the numbers and I can get some cash out, but that's, that's never felt meaningful to anybody. It feels convenient because it's not as messy, because it's clear and understandable because there isn't some, some nuance and mystery you have to dig into. The reason we like transaction, and, and research says the younger generations that are upcoming almost know nothing else but transaction because technologies make transactions so easy. So we're, if you're in your 50s or 60s, you remember going to dinner and having to split the bill. That's a weird idea. Split the bill. Well, you just get it this time. I'll get it next time. Guess what you have? You have shared submission in relationship. It's messy now. Somebody owes somebody. Well, you owe me and I owe you, but you got it last time, so I'll just take it. And then you just kind of move on, and it, it's unresolved, but it continues. And when you can just PayPal someone or Venmo someone, or you can just text them your half, we'll just cut it in half, I'll text it to you. And each texts the other the amount, and all of a sudden it's totally done and resolved. And guess what? The transaction is complete, the dinner is over, no one knows anyone, and the whole thing can be finished. And it's a really sneaky little thing, but there's so many things that technology introduces into our lives that are transactional now. And the relationship that we long for is lost. It's clean, and it is efficient, and it robs our relationships of significance. Nobody wants a romance like that. Nobody says, you know what the, the, the real romance I want? You know the relationship I just dream about? You know my greatest fantasy is like an ATM machine kind of romance. I put the code in, I get the money out, everybody's happy. Nobody asks for that. 
Nobody sits down and, and dreams and, and charts out the person that they long to marry and they hope that they're this robotic need meter. That's not real. You don't want a relationship like that. You certainly don't want a God like that. Which brings us back to Jesus. We're still dealing with trust and how, how this trust gets formed. And so the thing that we have to think about is who is really trustworthy. And if anyone's ever proven trustworthy, it's the one who would look at us and say, you are my beloved. And then you and I, we go, yeah, I've heard that before. I've been let down before. People I trust that have let me down. People I love have fallen short. People who I put a lot of stock into. And they couldn't hold it. And Jesus says, let me prove it. Jesus gives himself holy, lives a life of sacrifice, of selfless service, of truth and humility, of submission and surrender. Jesus literally lays his life down, submits it as payment for our sin. Jesus is the picture of the perfect friend and the perfect spouse and the perfect leader and the perfect savior. And here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't ask you to trust him based on some promises for the future. Jesus invites you to trust him based on promises already fulfilled in the past, which makes it the easiest yes you and I have ever said. Jesus doesn't ask you to trust him for some maybe hopeful promises in the future. He asks you to to trust and follow him based on something that's already happened. The challenge for us is because we live where we live, it's confusing to trust Jesus as Savior because the world sees submission and surrender as weakness. And so we go, I'm supposed to follow that, but that seems contrary to all the things that I've been taught are important in my life. And so what we end up doing, just like the Jews of Jesus' day, is we, we look past Jesus and we look for some, somebody stronger, somebody more forceful. We look for the military conqueror who will inspire us and lead us into battle, not the one who will lay down his sword and climb on a cross. Some guy who forgave and submitted, I'm supposed to follow him? That seems like weakness. I want might and fight and power on display. There's a whole generation of of Americans that were inspired by William Wallace in Braveheart because he said they may take our lives, well, they'll never take our freedom. And he shouted and he yelled and people fought and there were swords and there's blood everywhere. And that's, that's I I want to follow him. Give Give me William Wallace, let me follow him. Jesus? Peter, put your sword down. You know not what you do. I forgive you. Put the nail in. It seems like weakness. Jesus surrendered his life. He did not fight or protest. Jesus submitted himself to death on a cross for the salvation of all who might believe and follow. He surrendered without fight or protest. He submitted to death by torture. Jesus did the very opposite of control and independence, which are the two things that you and I in relationship are always grasping for. And so you see Jesus through the Song of Songs. When you read it through the Jesus filter, it becomes disorienting. What you hear is Jesus saying, I seek you and I serve you. I don't use you for me. I use my life for you. Which just leaves us feeling off balance because Anytime we've trusted that in life with someone else, they've let us down, maybe in small ways, maybe in big ways. Whenever we've trusted someone else and we go, man, I'm going I'm to submit my life to you, I'm going to surrender my life to you, I'm going to do this thing with you, they let us down because they're not Jesus. 
And so when we read the Song of Songs, we get kind of excited about this idea of this perfect romance and learning some practical tips on how to be better in our relationships, maybe. But we stop short of seeing Jesus in it because we go, yeah, but listen to the ways that other people have hurt me. Our beloved's life was given for us so we can freely and confidently give our lives to him. That's the difference. Jesus is not asking you to trust him based on future promises, but on past promises already kept. So here's the challenge. If you would identify yourself as a follower of Jesus and you have not submitted your life to him, your whole life, not just the religious piece or the parts you're ready for some help in, but all of it, I would argue that you are living in self-deception. That we are violating this relational covenant we've been invited into, that, that we've been invited into this covenant which says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. That Jesus goes, I've given my life for you and all I ask is your life in return now. That's how we join up. And we go, I'll take the salvation part, but the whole submission seems odd to me. Surrendered isn't really my, my deal. Jesus is all in. He's all in. It's too late for Jesus to pull back. Jesus is all in for you. And our response is usually, well, okay, let me start small. Jesus, you can have my Sunday morning. Nothing else is really going on anyway. There's nothing good on television. Shops are closed. Jesus, you can have my Sunday morning. But not my finances. My money's not for you, Jesus. It's for me and my comfort. And maybe we get to there and we go, yeah, but not my secret vices, Jesus. That stuff's too shameful anyway. You, would, if you wouldn't love me if you saw it. So not that stuff. Not my marriage, Jesus. I know what I need there. I know how to run that thing. And if I submitted it to you, it would get all messy and I'd have to serve people a whole lot different. And this is working. I've got this, Jesus. Not my family, not my career, not my hopes, not my future. But let me start with my Sunday morning and just see how that works. And when that falls short and people walk away from religion because they show up on Sunday morning, they never engage in any other part of their life, and they go, the Jesus thing didn't really work for me, I argue with that. And I say, the Jesus thing never really happened for you. Jesus doesn't invite us into piecemeal approaches. Jesus says, I give my entire life for you. And my invitation is you would lose your entire life for me. Jesus is fully submitted, wholly surrendered. It is us who hold back. In the language of the Song of Songs, we want the sex, but not the commitment. We want the meal, but not the dishes. We want salvation, but not the Savior. We want meaning and direction in our lives, but please don't tell me where to go. If you follow Jesus for you, if you are in this for the way it makes you feel, when the feeling dies, so dies the relationship. Ask anyone who's been married more than five minutes. If you are in it for you and for the feelings, when the feeling dies, you feel like the relationship is gone too. If your faith is based on the need to avoid hell or feel better about some bad decisions in your past, that's self-deception. That's still about you. Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter 16. He said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Don't you see what that is? That's an invitation to submissive surrender. To a life of fullness and significance. To a present reality of eternal salvation. So if you want to find deep, meaningful relationships, the path is to lay your life down for another. If you want to find deep, meaningful life, 
The challenge from Jesus is you must lose your life and surrender it to him. My beloved is mine, but am I truly his? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is a confession on my heart, a reality that uh, even with the conviction that uh, I can stand up here and preach these things, it would be uh, duplicitous not to admit that these are struggles for me as well. That, Lord, it is easy to surrender the big things and the public things, but, God, it is so hard to let go of the things that no one else will ever know about. The self-effort and the self-reliance. Ultimately, Lord, what, what it points to is a sense that there are places that each of us are still attempting to be self-saviors. God, thank you for, uh, for beating us to the finish line on this. For showing us how it's done, for leaving no doubt as to your commitment. Father, that in Jesus we don't have to wonder if the promises will be fulfilled. We don't have to, to wonder if we'll be let down like every other area of in our life. Father, we can be sure that in Jesus we have our beloved. And that in giving his life for us, that we can be invited into gaining life by giving it away. By having our needs met and living a life where we meet the needs of others. By finding the joy of what submissive surrender really is. God, thank you for your son, for the suffering, and for the salvation. Pray that we, as a people, would find ourselves one step closer to giving you everything that we have. We pray this in his name. Amen.